Let me, uh, let me, before you, before you sit down, let me, in other words, get back up. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for our mothers. We uh, probably don't show them the things we should. We certainly don't say the things we should. And for many of them, most of their lives, they struggle through wondering what kind of impact they're having. But God, these are good mamas here. They're good because you're good. They're good because of grace. They're good because you're the God of love and you placed within their heart, God, so much more love than we guys can imagine or relate to. So I want to thank you for the women, the mothers of this church. I thank you for their smiles. I thank you for their encouragement. I thank you for their families. God, I pray today will be a good day for them. That, uh, Lord, will show them that next to you, they're the best thing in all the world. Bless this time we have now together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gals. Mm, that's terrible. First thing, I want to, first thing I want to do, it's good to be home. I just came back from a 27-hour flight, so I want to make a disclaimer this morning. Um, if I say something that doesn't make any sense, it's okay. It's just normal. I uh, was preaching in the first service, and I was trying to make a point, and halfway through me making a point, I forgot what the point was, and I'm telling you, gang, I just fogged out, and I'm thinking, here I am talking, and in my mind, I'm thinking, where is this going, you know, so we may have a little bit of that this morning, but that's okay, someone asked me, did I have jet lag, and I said, well, I don't know, I'm just lagging, you know, it's pretty normal for me, I want you to take your Bible this morning, I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy, okay? So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we're going to turn the page and read a few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all right? And we'll get there in just a moment. Our staff on Monday morning, Don, is leading us through a study of a John Maxwell book on leadership. And the book is, each chapter is defined by laws, the law of this, the law of that. A few weeks ago, we... Uh, we talked about the law of influence, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today on this Mother's Day, the law of influence. Here's what John Maxwell wrote. He said that leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence. Now, I guess I ought to define for you what influence is. I'm going to give you a a Tom definition, all right? Influence to me is gravity. Influence pulls a person toward a position, an idea, a belief. Influence is taking something that you deeply believe in, something that is truth as you understand it, that you would be willing to die for, and then it is giving that truth away to someone you love. 
And what I want you to understand this morning, in fact, really what I want you to get out of the, the message, is that influence is incredibly powerful. As a father, certainly as a mother, which is our emphasis today, you parents exert incredible influence. It's powerful. Now, it can be powerfully good, or it can be powerfully bad. But influence is incredibly powerful. Next week, the two men that have influenced me more spiritually than any other men in my life are going to be here. And they're going to stand and they're going to share with you a little bit about their life. They've influenced my life. In fact, I, I mentioned to the first service, every sermon that I write, every lesson that I teach, every Sunday when I get through preaching to you, dear people, as I'm on my way home evaluating what I'm saying, the first thing, one of the first things I, I generally ask myself, if Brother Step was here today, if Brother Step was in the audience listening to me today, I wonder what he would think. You see, influence is an incredibly powerful thing in our lives. This last week and a half, I was in the Philippines, not Philippians. I was in the Philippines. But I said that over there too, brother, okay? And I went with our director of missions. And while we were there, he introduced me to a guy that, that God dropped in his lap many years ago. And, and Danny Johnson, the guy's name was Waldo. Danny Johnson met this young man called Waldo. And over the course of some time, I had the opportunity to share Christ with him, and the young man trusted the Lord. And, and over a period of years, Danny was able to pour into this young man his life. Where's Waldo? Well, that young man that Danny led to the Lord and Danny influenced over several years, that young man is in one of our seminaries today. He stands every day. He teaches these young preacher boys the truths. Of, he's influencing a new generation. Just as he was influenced, he's influencing a great next generation of leaders. Gang, I want you to know that influence is a powerful thing. And I, I want to talk today about the influence that was placed on a young man. This young man, somewhat timid perhaps. This young man, somewhat, uh, some even say sickly perhaps. This young man became an incredibly great leader in the development of the early church. In fact, so much so, the Apostle Paul said this about this young man. He said, I have no one else like him of a kindred spirit, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. All the rest seek after their own interests, not God's. All but not him. His worth is proven. A godly grandmother, a godly mama, influenced Timothy. And Timothy became a stalwart for God, became an incredible... In fact, he's the only guy in the New Testament that's been called a man of God. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about Timothy, who influenced his life, how they influenced his life, and maybe today God will challenge you a little bit in your walk with God. You know what's interesting is this. We, we really don't know much about Timothy's dad. 
The Bible only tells us that he was a Greek. Now, some have assumed that he was not a believer, maybe rightly. Some have assumed that he was not really a, a factor in Timothy's life. Some even assume that perhaps he died early. That may all be true. We don't know that. In fact, his mother may have been a single mom. God bless the single moms, huh? Here's what we do know. We know that this young man's grandmother, we know that this young man's mother, so in love with Almighty God, greatly influenced this young life for God, and he became a man of God. I know of no greater honor, Dad. I know of no greater honor, Mother, than for your children to grow up to be God followers, to grow up to be hungry and thirsty after the things of God. I'm not saying don't invest in their athletics. I think you ought to do that. I'm not saying don't invest in their, in their recreation. You ought to do things like that. But I'm telling you the greatest thing you'll ever do for your children is give them, give them a heart that beats passionately after God. That's what this grandmother did. That's what this mama did. And he loved and he stood strong for God. Let's read our passage. Would you stand in honor of God's word? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's first of all read verses 3 through 5, okay? Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, Longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Now, notice verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith. We're going to talk about that. The sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. We have a Lois here, and she's a grandma. And your mother Eunice. Do we have any Eunices here? I don't guess, okay? And I am sure that is in you as well. All right, turn the page to chapter 3. And then let's read beginning verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. King James will have assured of. Some might say firmly believe in, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Father, I ask your help right now to guide my mind, to keep my mind fresh and sharp, to share with my dear church some of the wonderful things that we've just read about. And that we might together, Lord, we don't have all of the answers. And God, we're well aware of the imperfections by which we live. 
And yet, God, you've called us to be influential in the lives of some other people, and especially to be influential in the lives of our children. So, God, take these uh, meanderings of an imperfect preacher, but embolden them through the Holy Spirit to pierce into our heart the honor we have to be called dads, to be called moms, to be called grandpa, to be called grandpa. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. The name Timothy is a word or a name which means to honor God. So we know that Timothy's mother and grandmother were deep followers of Jehovah God even before they were converted to Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 tells us that Timothy, Timothy learned the scriptures from a childhood. There was a constant pattern to their lives that they learned from grandma and grandpa. They, in fact, if you look at chapter 1, it talks about their sincere faith. What does that mean, sincere faith? You see, we live in a, a culture where some folks think that, that as long as you're sincere or sincere about God, then you're going to be okay. But, gang, that's so wrong. In fact, I think it's repugnant to God in a lot of ways. What does sincere faith really mean? Let me touch on that for a moment. Yesterday afternoon, I had a knock on the door, and a young man, a nice-looking young man, came trying to sell me something. And he was a nice-looking young boy. He had a good sales. He almost bit me, you know. And so I invited him to come in, and he was talking to me about his product. And he told me, I asked him where he was from. He said he's from Idaho, which ought to immediately say, why would I buy something from someone from Idaho? But he almost got me. And in the course of our talk, I asked him, I said, uh, are you a Mormon? And he laughed. He said, well, my family is. He said, I'm not. And I said, okay. I said, well, let me ask you a question. If, uh, if you died today, what would happen? And he said, I'd go to meet my maker. And I said, really? I said, well, what, what does that mean? And he said, well, he said, you know, he said, I think I'm going to be okay. He said, I'm a good guy. Uh, he said, I'm sincere about life. And he said, in fact, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty righteous when you think about it. And I said, well, let me ask you this. How righteous do you have to be to be found acceptable by God? What does it mean to be sincere in your faith? Flying back. When you're on a 27-hour flight, you don't have much else to do except stand and look around, you know. And so I was standing trying to get my back in shape, and, and, and I was talking to a big guy who was flying back to the States. And so I was talking to him about life, about eternal life. And, and I said, well, hey, guy, do you go to church? He said, you know, I ought to go to church. He said, I need to go to church because I need to get my kids in church. Now, what he was saying is, hey, I need to be raising moral kids. And I said, well... Forget the children. What about you? He said, well, I, I, I like God. He said, I just don't know a whole lot about God. What does it mean to be sincere in our faith? Well, this word sincere is found six times in the New Testament. It's a word which means to be unfeigned, a word which means to be genuine. Some would define it as being undisguised. Back in 
those days that the actors would stand before the people and they would play their parts. And if it was a sad part, they'd hold up a sad face. If it was a happy, face, a happy part, they would hold up a, a happy face. That's the word that Paul uses here. It's a word which means to be, in Timothy's case, to be unmasked. We get the English word hypocrite from it. Paul's saying that Timothy's face was an unmasked, unhypocritical genuine faith. It was real. It was genuine. It was unpretentious. And beloved, I want to tell you, if there's one thing your kids need to see in your life today, is that you're real, that you're genuine, that you're unmasked for the glory of God. The world in its lostness desperately needs to see Christians in their realness today. Our lives must translate real faith into a living dynamic that glorifies the Father of grace. And in a rapidly changing world, dear people, we need to be godly people who stand on an unchanging word. Now turn with me and look with me in chapter 3, verse 14 for a few moments. As Paul is describing Timothy's sincere faith, there's three words that I think are very important. Three words I just want to touch on for just a moment. Look at verse 14. You see the word continue? Circle that word. I'm going to end with that. But that's a very important word in this verse. Then the word learned. That's an important word. You need to circle it. And then the word convinced. Okay? We're going to look at those three words. And and let me just kind of give you a silly little outline that maybe you can connect these words to. First thing is this. That faith, genuine faith, sincere faith, is something that is taught. Paul says, it is something that you learn. Now listen, gang, saving faith is not hereditary, right? Everybody's got to believe. Everybody's got to understand who they are as sinners, who Jesus is as the perfect law keeper. So faith is not something that's hereditary. Every man stands on his own. But the thing we must recognize is that every parent is responsible for teaching their children the right thing. Especially Christian moms and dads are responsible for teaching Christian truth. We have the responsibility to teach our children in the ways of God and the truth of eternity. Why would we spend all of this money teaching our kids how to play ball? Why would we spend all this money teaching our kids how to do everything else and not spend time teaching them? about the ways of God and the ways of eternity. Timothy's mother, Timothy's grandmother, instructed the mind of this young man who became a God follower. God bless the moms who teach their children the ways of God. In all probability, and I'm not assuming too much here, but in all probability, maybe she was a single mom. God bless the single mother who, void of a husband and a man in her life, still clings to the things of God, still believes in entrusting into the lives of her children that which is all eternal. God bless the single mom. God bless the moms whose husband doesn't really seem to care about the things of God or for whatever reason doesn't do the investing into the lives of their. God bless the mother whose husband doesn't quite do what he should do, and yet she's willing to stand up 
and lead her kids to the things of God. I want you to know that part of salvation is that which is caught, that which is taught from the world. We have the responsibility, dear people, to teach our kids the truth of Scripture. It's got to be something in the head before it can be something down deep in the heart. That's why we spend so much of our time trying to encourage you to come to Sunday school, into small group. That's why we spend so much time trying to encourage you to, to be involved in the life of our children and our youth because we know that the first part of the salvation process is taking the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, instructing the mind about the Word of God so that God can begin working on the heart. I know I've shared with you, I'm probably going to be a little redundant, but hey, I'm jet lagged, okay? Uh, this last year, I, I, I gave up on Wednesday night teaching adults, and it was a little scary for me. Uh, I really felt in my heart that, that we need to instruct the children, as they get a little older anyway, before Mark gets them, maybe help Mark a little bit. And so I decided that I would join with our preteens. Now, I got to tell you, a 62-year-old gray-headed guy Walking into a preteen class is a little bit intimidating, okay? I actually, first of all, didn't think they'd listen to me. Uh, secondly, I knew that the, the class I was going to teach, first of all, it was going to be doctrine, and then we were going to move from there to the Ten Commandments. I knew that I was going to be throwing out some concepts and some terms and some words that they weren't going to understand and may not remember. And I told them up front, I said, gang, listen, you've got to hang with me here. I said, because you're going to hear some words that you've probably never heard of before, and I'm hoping that it'll get in the gut so that when you need it, God will pull it back out of the gut so you can remember it. And I have to tell you, I would end up my class thinking, I don't know, God. I don't know if they got any of it, you know. I mean, it was, I, I knew the adults wouldn't get it, you know, but I wasn't sure about the preteens. Well, at the end of our class, after a year, Leanne, uh, did our review. And I want to tell you something. They got it. They, people talk about the church losing kids. I want to tell you, the church is not losing. Parents may lose kids. But a kid that's grown up under the teaching of the Word of God and someone that's been taught the Word of God, while they all have their independent streaks and while they may stray for a time, they're not going to be lost because God uses the Word of God. And these young kids got it. Boy, you'd ask a question, and rightly, and you'd ask a question, and they got it. I thought, my goodness, I don't even remember it. But they got it. Let me tell you, listen to me. Daddies, mamas, listen to me. The first chain in a salvation process is that we instruct the mind about the things of God. Now, that doesn't save, but what it does, it opens up the head to understand the precious truths of the Word of God. That's why he said what you have learned, faith, saving faith, first of all, is something that is taught. Something that you teach facts that must be understood and accepted as God rots the salvation process in their life. I'm thankful for a wife who said early on that one thing this family's going to have is family meals 
in family devotions. I have to tell you, it's, guys, it's our responsibility. Let me just be real honest with you, okay? It's our responsibility. But there's something about us guys that has trouble being the spiritual leader that we should be and want to be. Amen, guys? It's okay. You're not going to get hit. Isn't that right, guys? It's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. And I, I didn't grow up, you know, being a preacher. I, you know, most of my 20s were not very good years. And I'm glad they didn't take videos of it, you know. But one thing I appreciate about my wife, and especially after I surrendered to preach, you would think I would then step up. But it was even then hard then, guys. I'm just trying to be real with you. It was my wife that set us down and said, listen, things are going to get hairy around here. Daddy's going to be working all night. I'm going to have to go to work for a while. Uh, we're, time's going to, Dad's pastoring. It's going to be crazy. But if you listen to me, dear family, one thing we're going to do at least three times a week, hopefully four times a week, we're turning off the stupid TV. She didn't say stupid. I did. We turn off the TV, and we're going to sit down as a family. And we're going to have a family meal. And my wife went out and found a little white book called Little Visits with God. Have you all ever seen that? It's called Little Visits with God. And after we would eat, before we could jump up and do anything, we took that little devotion book and we opened it up and we read the scriptures and we talked and discussed the things of God. Why did she know to do that? Because she knew that faith, first of all, is something that is taught. And I want you to know as a parent, the primary responsibility, your dad's the primary responsibility you got, guys, is not how to chunk a baseball, not how to hit a baseball. None of those kids going to get out of Little League anyway. I was talking to a guy not long ago. He was going to hire somebody to come and teach his boy how to shoot a basketball. The dad's about 5'10". The boy's probably going to be 5'5". You don't need to shoot a basketball when you're 5'5". You know, like me trying to play basketball. All I do is dribble between people's legs, you know? But it is important that I teach my boy, that I teach my girl. And now that i got grandkids, that I teach my grandkids about the things of God. Why? Because salvation, first of all, is something that is taught. Several years ago, I, uh, I got to thinking about the Muslims and how they pray, I think, like five times a day, right? And I'm thinking, they pray five times a day. Most Christians don't even pray one time a day. If they do, it's only when they're in a bind. So I got this idea that I was going to pray three times a day. And I don't know, some of you don't remember this. You're a little young, but a sterno, you'll remember it, James, that... You remember Dr. Pepper, 10, 2, and 4? When is it time to drink Dr. Pepper? 10 o'clock? How many of you remember that? Well, yeah. So I'm not that old. Or, or it's just everybody gray here that did that, okay? So I put it in my watch. And I was with one of my grandsons, and my watch started ringing. And I said, oh, 2 o'clock, got to pray. Boy, he immediately dropped his head. You see, the truth of God, the Word of God, doesn't come by osmosis. It comes from a daddy primarily, and a mother primarily. Then we come alongside of you, and we help you, preachers and teachers, our Sunday school, God bless the Sunday school teachers who work their tails off all week long and yet still give a lesson. Why? Because salvation is first taught. Okay. Now secondly, saving faith 
is also something caught. Look at verse 15. From a childhood, you've known the sacred writings. Why? Because they're able to give you wisdom. Why? Because it leads to salvation. How? Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We have the responsibility to teach God's truth. The dear people, only God can impart truth into the soul. That's why faith is a gift to those who are believing. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Reformers would call that fiducia. That's where we take facts in our head, we understand the facts, then we believe the facts, but then we take those facts that we believe in, and we pour it into our heart, and we accept it personally into our heart and life. We believe in Jesus Christ alone. We repent of our sin. We faith Him because He first faiths us. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit the believer sees and embraces the sweetness and the loveliness of Christ. See what is known in the head becomes consumed in the heart. And that's where salvation takes root and becomes real. And I want to tell you, I'm convinced that in this nation we live, just like that young man on my living room yesterday, good young man, wonderful young man. He understands some of the facts about Jesus, but there's never been a transformation in his heart. He's never caught it. Here's what Paul says, Timothy, you have learned you become convinced of, I saw it in your grandma. I saw it in your mom. And Timothy, I'm convinced it's dwelling in you. God bless the mamas. God bless the daddies who understand the truth of God. So faith, saving faith, first of all, is something that is taught. That's our responsibility. It's something that is caught, and that's God's responsibility. But notice in verse 14 also, it's something that, it, that is wrought. It's something that lives in you. Notice you, however, continue in the things you've learned. Let me tell you, this is a command by Paul to Timothy. Timothy, I, in a sense, he's saying, I, it's present tense command, which means, Timothy, I command you every single day, every moment of every day, every event that happens in your life, I command you to continue in that which you've learned. By the way, if you look at chapter 3, it begins about the last days being very difficult and people blaspheming and lovering of themselves and, 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 and then rejecting God. Then on down there, it talks about how all that are godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the picture he's penning to Timothy is, Timothy, it's bad out there, but Timothy, you have no idea how bad it's going to get. It's going to get worse. They're going to turn away from God. And all those who are followers of God are going to be very persecuted for their faith. However, you, Timothy, I command you, Timothy, that you follow after the things your grandmother and after the things your mother had told you, I command you that what you have learned and what you have accepted and believed in, you live it. And all dear parents, I want to tell you, 
Well, we're responsible to take the Word of God and teach the kids. Well, we're responsible to take the Word of God and, and help them understand those truths of Scripture. Far more important in your life is not what you're going to say, but it's going to be how you live. It's taking God's truth and making it real in your life. You continue in godliness. And oh, dear parents, it's incumbent upon us in this day in which we live that our young people see in us what they read in the Scripture. It must have been truth that has been taught, and we believe, and we make it part of our lives. And I believe this, that if they see that it's important for us, if they see that we live it day by day, if they see that we're even willing to die for it if we must, then I want you to know it'll have some impact on, in their life. And at some point in their life, they'll begin to realize it's worth it. I believe with all of our heart that when they get what you've got, if you're living it right, we're not going to lose them. The church is not going to lose them. They'll be the next leaders in this generation of darkness, but they'll stand true to the things of God. In all probability, Timothy was not the strong personality that Paul was. People say that he was timid, that he was sickly, uh, that is, in fact he's been known as Timid Timothy. So apparently there was something either about his constitution or his physical part of his life that, that was very, that very ill or, or weak. But you know that every time Paul had a problem in one of the churches. Every time Paul had an issue brewing in one of the churches where he had to send somebody to stand up for the faith, stand up for the doctrines, and lead the church back to order, do you know who he sent? He sent Timothy. You see, dear people, when the Holy Spirit grabs a life, then that life can become a mighty force for God. Timothy, we find, find even pastored in Ephesus, an incredibly difficult church. We're going to talk about Ephesus in several weeks. It's where the Apostle John finished his life. How would you like to be the pastor of the Apostle John, you know? It would be like having to preach to Billy Graham every Sunday, you know? You wonder if anything you say is right or if he's going to call you on the carpet the next day. He pastored John, the apostle. This timid young man was taught it. This sickly young man caught it. And this man of God wrought it in his life. He lived the life that was pleasing to God. And Paul said, he's the only one I got. Out of all the men he could have sent, he picked the nerd. He picked the skinny, skimpy wimp. But oh, what a man of God he became. And it began with a grandma. And it began with a mama. We're not even sure dad was in the picture. But when God's in the picture... It works, doesn't it? It works. Sincere faith. A faith, first of all, that understands the facts. You've got to understand the facts of Jesus, don't you, gang? Who he was? Perfect. Why did he die for your sin? You've got to understand that. You have to believe it, not just to understand the fact. Hey, I believe that. But it's got to be personal. It's 
got to be a point where you say, you know, this perfect man died for me. And I want to accept him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Well, let's pray. I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know as a daddy where you are or a mama where you are. I'll tell you what I do know. I've told the folks in the Philippines that I get to serve some of the greatest people I've ever known. And I miss them and I'm ready to go home. But I don't know, folks, what it's like in your home. And I don't know what it's like in your heart, you know. Have you ever been taught it? And are you teaching it? Have you ever caught it? Has it ever become real? Are you living it as proof of what he has done? Father, I love you. And I love this dear church. And God, I thank you for the privilege that I've had these years to, to teach, fumble along and bumble along and God, they allow me to do that. But in the course, Lord, of it all, we've done our best to take your word, to open your word, to share your truth. Today, God, I've tried to do that, tried to help them understand our responsibility as parents to teach it, knowing that, Lord, only you can make it happen. And when you do, we live it. And we live it in a way that influences those around us and those we love the most. Maybe today there's someone here who's not living it because they've never caught it. Or maybe there's some here today who have been taught it, but they've let it slide for so long. Maybe today you've arrested their heart. Maybe today is a new beginning. God, do what you will for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.